Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by Visa. We all have things we like to think about. Online fraud shouldn't be one of them. Because with every purchase, Visa prevents, detects, and resolves online fraud. Safe, secure, Visa. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at How Stuff Works. And today with me, I have Jonathan Strickland, one of our writers. Howdy. It's a, it's a good day to play a game. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of cloudy outside. We, we're, we're dealing with the remnants of a hurricane in Georgia. So, uh, it's a good time to just relax on the couch and, uh, plop a game in the old Xbox 360 and, uh, just take it for a whirl. Yeah, our uh, gigantic editorial gaming room with every system that you could possibly imagine and gigantic screens to play them on. Right, the chair the, suspended from the ceiling and nice little harnesses. It's awesome. Yeah, exists only in our imaginations. Right, we don't have one of those. Right. But uh, we were talking about game developers and how cool it is that uh, that some of the smaller developers are starting to get a foothold in the market again. Right, in the in the console market specifically. Right. Because they've always kind of been around in the PC market. Uh, and, uh, and the Internet has really opened up the opportunities for people who are developing games for computers, whether it's web-based or whether it's something, you know, you download from a site. But video game consoles for a long time uh, – really didn't have that many independent developers uh, producing games for them. And uh, there's a few reasons for that. Well, first, let's, let's kind of look at the, the recent past and how video games were developed. Uh, you, you have these enormous video game software corporations, um, and many of them have entire departments dedicated to produce just a single game. And some of the games cost millions and millions of dollars to produce um, – like uh, uh, there were reports that Grand Theft Auto 4 cost like a hundred million dollars to produce, which is you know you're, you're talking about a Hollywood movie at that point. That's kind of a, a huge. That's a huge number. I mean, there's no kind of to it. Um, and these games are so complex and so uh, resource heavy that they require large groups of people working together to produce them. You can't you know you can't have just one or two people working. To, to create a, a game of that size. And, uh, case in point, I mean, take two interactive, the, right. uh, the company that, that produces Grand Theft Auto at the point of this podcast, as we talk now, um, <laughs> at time of press, right. um, they are in discussions with electronic arts to, uh, to work out some kind of combination. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to, if they decide to merge or, uh, agree to be bought out, however they, they structure it, they're doing so because of the cost about, of the resources that EA would be able to give them to produce additional games in the future. Right. Yeah. And now this isn't the way things always were. Back in the day, uh, a day that Chris and I could actually remember, um, <laughs> video games were simple enough where, it was entirely possible for a person or a small group of people to produce a game from start to finish and put it on mar- on the market and uh, and make money. And um, like in the good old Atari 2600 days. Oh, well, we're not even, you know, a lot of the people – I've read several interviews in gaming magazines that said that uh, a lot of these guys who are producing these high-tech, super amazing, immersive gaming uh, interactions – 
they all started programming on their VIC-20s and Commodore 64s with the uh, the code that they used to put in the back of some of the magazines then, the computing magazines. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it used to be where you would find, you know, the local kid in your school and he had written this game, you know, after school and they would distribute it at fl- on floppy disks with a bag with a little instructions. Right, yeah. You know, for, I don't know, what, five bucks or something like that. And even big, quote-unquote, big developers – uh, would would do the same kinds of things. You could write off and and have them mail you the game. Right. Yeah. Actually, a big uh, floppy disk. You know? uh, a guy I know did exactly that. Uh, Richard Garriott. Um, who's, was he? Uh, was he any good at it? Uh, he. he yeah, he was, uh, he had some, uh, he met some success. Uh, Richard Garriott, or, or Richard Lord British Garriott, as he's often called, um, uh, produced the Ultima gaming series and then, uh, went on to do many other things. Um, he's trying to go off into space right now, as I understand. But the Ultima series really was incredibly popular. And that was one of those series that was born out of a single person working on a game, just something that he thought was interesting. He was inspired by the Dungeons and Dragons, uh, paper and pencil game and worked out of his, uh, his parents' garage and with his brother and formed origin game systems and the rest is history. So, but that was back when it was possible for a person or, or a couple of people to create a game. And then what happened was, with the with the console system in particular, Atari Twenty Six Hundred, you the the market became flooded with lots and lots of terrible games, and I mean horrible, almost unplayable games. I've got many of them in my basement. If you I, want to try them, I have played several of them. I I can admit right now, I am one of the people who did own the Atari Twenty Six Hundred ET game. Oh no. Widely considered to be the worst <laughs> video game of all time. I can tell you that it's pretty bad, but you know what? I had a Raiders of the Lost Ark game that I think might might tie for as horrible as the AD game was. You know, but, we're, we're off uh, Steven Spielberg's Twitter list now. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Spielberg. Um, but at any rate, all these games flooded the market, and it, it caused the market to crash. Uh, people got, got fed up. There was no way to tell if you were going to buy something that was of, of any quality or not. And people kind of moved to the computer systems, and they got away from the console systems. It wasn't really until Nintendo came on the scene that the console system kind of had a a, a, a renaissance, if you will. And part of the reason was that Nintendo was almost draconian in what could come onto its system. They had very specific guidelines and uh, and quality control. So you didn't have the glut of really horrible games on the Nintendo system like you did with the Atari system. I'm not saying that every Nintendo game was great, but there was there was a much better ratio of good games to crappy games on the <laughs> Nintendo system. And uh it it's it's actually continuing on like that today. If you look at uh games for the Wii, you'll see the official Nintendo seal on the right. outside of the box that tells you that it is in fact licensed by Nintendo. Right. Now now this is bringing us up to current day. Now current day, you know, we get past the 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 point where you have all these huge video game systems that are spending millions of dollars and and really um uh kind of kind of uh monopolizing the market in a way away from the third party developers or the the independent developers rather. Um well, now we've got a couple of game companies uh, or um, game system companies, Nintendo and Xbox, that are allowing people to create their own games uh, and even sell them across the uh, their their internet-based um, services. So with Nintendo, it's called WiiWare, 
And with uh, Xbox, it's the XNA Creators Club. Um, but it's these are the these these allow people to create their own games, uh, whether it's you know one person or a small group or whatever, and upload it. It gets peer reviewed. They can be um, uh, set out on the marketplace, and people can actually buy these games. You can make money doing it, and it takes a lot of the expenses out of producing a game out of the equation. You don't have to worry about distribution anymore because it's all over the internet. So you don't have to produce the hard copy and the the box and the documentation. All of that can be done electronically. You just have to convince them to uh to carry the title in their store. Right. Yeah, that's um <laughs> that's still that's still a big step. Uh it's a bigger step with Nintendo than it is with uh Microsoft. Like Nintendo it's quality control. Thing, right, exactly. Right? It's that same thing we were talking about with the consoles yeah. early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have um they have a, a develop developers kit that you can purchase for two thousand dollars. And uh once you that immediately kind of uh, will will uh, cause certain people to say, you know what, I'm just not even going to bother, and that that cuts out a lot of the the crappy games right there. The people who are just curious because no one's going to drop two grand just to find out if they can do it, right? Yeah, that's a that's a bit rich for my blood. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm out. I wouldn't be able. To, yeah, I'm done too. <laughs> but uh, that you also have to become a licensed developer with Nintendo in order to offer your games on their system. Otherwise, uh, you know, it, it, they won't carry it. So there is some quality control there. Now there's, once you're licensed, you could create whatever games you like and, uh, they'll carry it based on the, um, the ESRB rating. So, uh, which is, of course, the, the rating system that tells you whether or not, you know, what age level the game is appropriate for. So, um, they're not as draconian as they used to be, but it's still a pretty tight grip. Uh, Xbox is a little more loose. They, um, you, you have to have a, a, a premium account with the XNA Creators Club, which costs about a hundred dollars a year, so it's a subscription-based thing. Um, and then you get you get access to their developers kit. Uh, everything is programmed in Visual C Sharp, and um, you use that to create the games. You upload them, and the the community kind of uh, peer reviews it. And if it passes muster, it can hit Xbox Live Marketplace, and people start downloading it. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I I was reading actually the other day, and we're not just talking about completely about consoles. There are other uh, consoles that uh, you may not think of as consoles that uh, would be affected by this. I was reading a report in MacWorld. Uh, you know, people are if you go to the uh, App Store on your iPhone or iPod Touch or in uh, iTunes, you can you can poke around in there even if you don't have one of these devices. Um, there are independent developers developing games for the iPhone and the iPod Touch. And uh, there was an article in on August 25th in Macworld uh, called A Tale of Two Tetrises. And an independent <laughs> developer named Noah Witherspoon uh, developed a game called Triss. And it's basically, uh, it's very similar to, let's just say it's really, really similar to Tetris to the point where the Tetris company actually has threatened him with legal action and he has removed the game from the... Uh, the iTunes store. But, um, you know, even on, on a, on that level, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, the playstations and the Xboxes of the world. I mean, there are people who develop games for these other systems. And if you wonder why people might actually want to do this, uh, it may not necessarily be to get an extra, you know, 20 bucks for 15 people to download it. The more people do this, the better they get at it. 
So some of these independent developers of today are going to be the people like Take Two or right, you know, right. or the uh, Square yeah, could, Enix of tomorrow. They could be the next big video game manufacturer, and some of them actually come from that background already, but they sure. got out of it for one reason or another, and and now they're making the games they always wanted to make. Because that's the other side of the coin of the the big manufacturers versus the the, the independent guys. Um, a lot of the big video game companies, they're going to concentrate on games that have a proven track record. So like first-person shooters and, and real-time strategy and, and resource management games, things that, that people know there's a market for. Whereas your independent gamers, our developers, they're, they're more likely to um, experiment and really try some really bizarre new things that, that no sane video game company would pour money into. And it may turn out to be the next big hit. Sure. You never know. I mean, uh, Jonathan Blow with Braid is a good example. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the current, uh, golden child of the, uh, independent developer community. Um, and it's, it, even, you could even argue that it's not that innovative. A lot of people have comp- com- compared it as a sort of a, a mixture of Mario and, uh, Prince of Persia. Cause you have a time, <laughs> uh, time management thing where you can, you can rewind time and, uh, but even so, it's, it's something that, Probably no major video game company would have poured resources into, and now it's on Xbox Live, and you can download it for like fifteen bucks. Yeah, that's going to be a, a, a big opportunity for for some people to get their feet in the door, especially uh, considering um, I read a, an article um, in Ars Technica was basically covering a, a report in Screen Digest talking about how games are fifty percent more expensive to make for this current generation of consoles than it was for the previous generation. So uh, we may be seeing the end of the middle class developer, if you will. You may see the just the big names who can afford to do it and the, the little, little guys, guys who are willing to take a chance and, wow. and do something to get their, their foot in the door, uh, you know, to get them get their name out there well, until you, they get picked up and become a big right. <laughs> Well, the cool thing is I think no matter which way you slice it, it's a really good time to be a gamer. We all have things to think about, like, say, what's the best site to buy a new leather jacket, or whether to buy the three or six megapixel camera. But thankfully, we don't need to think about online fraud, because for every purchase you make, Visa keeps an eye out for fraud, with real-time fraud monitoring, and by making sure you're not liable for any unauthorized purchases. How's that for peace of mind? Safe, secure, Visa. So for my fellow gamers out there, game on. I mean, it's it's pretty exciting. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about these kind of topics, you can read our articles on uh, how the Xbox 360 works or how the PlayStation 3 works or how the Nintendo Wii works. All of them can be found at HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?